Welcome to Mystery Simon Theater 3000, the podcast where I'm going to be watching 3000 VHS tapes, none of which I get to choose. Because every episode, I'm going to be watching three tapes, one of which is chosen randomly by a random number generator. The second one is going to be chosen by my co-host Juan Carlos. And then the third one is going to be chosen by a rotating guest. In our last episode, we drew three tapes and we're going to be talking about them. Today, I have producer Johnny, who's going to be filling in the spot of co-host because Juan Carlos could not make it tonight. But Johnny watched all these tapes with me. So instead of asking me questions about what the heck is on these tapes, we just get to talk about them together. Yeah, it'll be interesting to share some of these thoughts. And um, it was a trip to see how many swords were involved in all three of these tapes. So um, without spoiling that one, I'm going to go ahead and hand it back to Simon and uh, let her tell them more about it. So the way this is going to go is we are going to go through each tape and read everything that's on the box. Inconceivable! Because one of the things that I love about this collection, or just VHS media in general, is the box art. And all of the log lines, the pull quotes, sometimes the weird graphics. And every once in a while, we'll get a colored tape. And those are special. We don't have those for this episode. Those are, like, really, really rare. Um, but those are also just some things that make this collection really fun. And the first tape that we got was our randomly selected tape is 1987's The Princess Bride. Is this a kissing book? Directed by Rob Reiner. You, you gave it two thumbs up? I gave it two thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, that's normally inconceivable to me. Okay. I don't think you know what that means. I don't know if I know what I mean. <laughs> uh, first thing it starts is a pull quote from Joel uh, Siegel. From ABC TV. It's thrilling, exciting, very funny, and absolute magic. Don't miss it. All right, so the log line for this box goes Embark on a fun filled adventure that unlocks imaginations and inspires dreams. A wondrous tale of wit and whimsy. The Princess Bride will transport you to a magical land where fantasy reigns supreme, and kings and queens of all ages will want to return again and again. Long ago and far away, there lived a beautiful, the, the beautiful buttercup, Robin Wright, Forrest Gump, and her, quote, one true love, Wesley, Carrie Elwes, uh, Robin Hood men in tights. With a final kiss goodbye and a vow that he will one day return, Wesley leaves to seek his fortune. But when news arrives that he's been lost at sea, an evil prince seizes the opportunity to arrange his own betrothal to Buttercup. Things certainly do look bleak for the poor, unwilling bride-to-be. But before she can say I do, the courageous Wesley triumphantly returns to battle wizards. Battle wizards? I really say that? It says that. It says, like, what, like, returns to battle wizards. All right. <laughs> sure. Warriors, pirates, poisons, giants. He, he battles po- poisons. That actually, I, I'd give that a little bit more leeway than battling wizards in this movie. Let's see. Uh, giants and giant egos. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Giant egos to come uh, to her rescue. Sparkling with fun, adventure, and romance and featuring endearing characters played by Peter Falk, Billy Crystal, Mandy Patinkin, and more. The Princess Bride casts an unforgettable spell that will leave your heart happily ever after. All right. Do you mind if I see this? That was long. It was long, and I feel like, do you say they mentioned uh, Forrest Gump? 
What I'm getting at there is that log line feels like it knew it could coast off of this movie's good name. <laughs> Probably. No, but it's also lying to you. There's no battling wizards. That's what I'm saying. Maybe nobody even read it before they sent it out. Who knows? I I remember tripping out on this log line because uh, it really felt like they didn't have to say a whole lot about it. And most log lines, you kind of want like the plot in the first line or so. This log line did not have it. And I knew... Johnny has notes. Yeah, I I feel like there was something going on there. Like uh, they knew what they had. They knew, hey, this thing sells itself at this point. You know, we're talking a post Forrest Gump world. Everybody loves Princess Bride. Okay, so this, I think, was printed in 1998. A fine year. Almost the best year for movies, but it's one of your best years for music. It's a great year for music. Okay, great. Now I think we can move on to some of the trailers that were on this movie. I I forget that this is a kid's movie, and we were talking about that a lot while we were watching it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's also like it's it hits that perfect spot where adults are going to enjoy it and they're going to find it like genuinely funny. I know we both found it like pretty impressive as just a movie, but it was very much like a kid's movie. And I think just what set that up for us was the trailers. The first one was All Dogs Go to Heaven. No, not oh, sorry, not the movie All Dogs Go to Heaven. The computer game, computer kit. Yeah. Well, All Dogs Go to Heaven. So in 1998. This movie knows part of its job is to sell computers and software. So the first two trailers are, I guess, advertisements. The first uh, the, the two advertisements at the beginning of this movie are for two different pieces of software. Uh, both are kids' computer games. Well, we can just wrap up this section by saying those are the only tra- trailers, <laughs> advertisements. Uh, the first one was for All Dogs Go to Heaven. The second one was for Humpty Dumpty in Toyland. And both of these trailer advertisements featured the same games, just with different characters. There was just like a paint by numbers. There was a, what were some of the, I, I, I don't remember any of the other games besides like remember. seeing some that were color by numbers, maybe stuff that had to do with maps. Both ended with ask your parents to get you this game. But before that has to happen, you got to ask your parents to get you a computer. And when I was a kid, I did not know that I, I, I wouldn't have known that. I would, you just want the game. Those poor, yeah. poor fucking parents. Yeah. So now we can get into one word descriptions. If you can describe the Princess Bride in one word. Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Would it, you like a second word? It's hard for me to 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 not just go for the obvious joke, but uh, you already made the obvious. I think joke. wholesome. Okay, my one word description for this movie would be smart. Hmm. I really think just like it. All of the jokes are set up really well, and they're they're just not stupid. I think it gives enough whimsy and excitement and fun for for the kids, but I just. You know, it was just made at that special time where a lot of children's media was also was like made by adults who cared about the quality of their jokes and the quality of the fun and excitement that was happening. What I liked about it was that there are a lot of really cool, deep themes that I think people can discover as they continue to watch it. One theme that I picked up on that I I was surprised to kind of pick up on and watching it this time, I really liked this idea of like a positive goal um is is like a better inspiration for achievement you you have an eagle who has trained his entire life to become this brilliant swordsman 
He's trying to avenge his father who is killed in front of him. And he even loses to Wesley. And you could kind of like chalk that, like chalk that up to, oh, well, Wesley is, you know, he's just the main character. So he's got to win. Of course, he's got to win. But when you look at their motivations to become the best at what they do, Inigo's is rooted in revenge, while Wesley's is rooted in like this positive affirmation, wanting to get back to his true love. So he has something he's fighting for in a positive sense. So I thought that was cool. I like that. Uh, So what about the I think we talked about the kinds of like tones that this movie has already. But I been trying to pay attention to the music in in these movies a lot and i i made some notes of specifically about the music um this music was fun so to say a little bit about this music while simon's catching up on her notes um the music was created by mark knopfler which i had no clue about but um he's the genius behind dire straits uh, so all those great guitar licks uh, sultans of swing and all that good stuff that's him. Sultan's Swing a song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I've heard the name of the Dire, dire Straits. Dire Straits. I've heard the name. Positive I've heard the music somewhere before. Famously spoofed by uh, Weird Al, um, I Want My MTV. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good song. Weird Al's great. The music in this movie struck me as something that was like really dramatic and over the top at times, but I don't think it ever quite crossed the threshold of being too over the top. It was kind of just perfectly in step with keeping up with it in ways that almost seemed silly, but but then it would just kind of like fade away and just be really, really supportive to like whatever was really playing out in the scene. It, uh, and then you told me it was written by a famous guy. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think uh, what I like about this soundtrack is that um, it it's obviously created by somebody who's a very competent musician, but it's kind of the perfect mid-budget soundtrack. So relies on a lot of like synthesized sounds, but in a way that isn't like too cheesy. And I think to your point, um. At some of the more dramatic parts or maybe parts that could potentially be more scary for a younger crowd or something, that music uh, just helps to not te- carry it over the edge. It does. It's not so immersive that that, you know, it's like too scary. No, but the music is absolutely like riding the edge quite often. Yeah, definitely. it just uh, it just never falls over like Humpty Dumpty did in that computer game. It's better than many pieces of music you would hear on like mid mid run uh, X Files episodes. Like if you watch the sixth uh, season of X Files, uh, there's a lot worse music. Mark, what are we doing? Would you rewind the Princess Bride? Yeah, definitely, absolutely. Same. I agree. Everything about it was, it's fun, it's smart, it's it's rated G. So it's something you could watch with kids and absolutely find it like funny and exciting. Um, the, f- the first of the sword fights that we watched was really impressive. Um, I kind of wish we maybe s- would have saved this last for the last movie that we watched um, because it just was like the most enjoyable movie that we watched. And 
had the best sword fights, like objectively the best sword fights. Yeah, absolutely. And that was The Princess Bride. Well, thank you very much. Very nice. So we got our next movie up. What do we got? 1986's Hoglander. Highlander. Yeah, that's what I said. All right. Yeah. Great. Starring Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery. Christopher Lambert. Lambert. Sounds like Ren Hoek. Yeah, nothing too remarkable about this tape. Uh, the, the box art, I think, is pretty great. Really short logline. No pull quotes. But I think, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is the kind of movie that was just like a VHS cult classic. Uh, we, we did watch some review, like the Siskel and Ebert reviews for these movies, and um, they kind of, they hated this movie. Yeah, they thought this movie bit. was hot garbage. It looked great, though. It looked great. It looked great. Okay. Or it looked fun. It, it it was fun. There are some things that don't look great. I don't think this is a great transfer. There are parts of it where it goes into a really nice, crystal clear, kind of standard VHS quality, but then the rest of the time, it, it's, it looks pretty rough. Yeah, that only lasted, like, for no joke, like 20 seconds. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know what's up with that. It was a harsh cut, too. Connor McLeod is a Scot who should have died in 1536, but he belongs to a rare race of immortals that can only be killed when beheaded with a sword. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Like, it had to be with a sword. Mm-hmm. I knew that they had to, like, beheading was the only way it could happen. But oh, okay, yeah. I, I didn't I, know that it, like, it yeah. had to be a sword. Right, right. Okay. That's fair. Their destiny is to duel through history until the gathering, when the remaining few will battle for supremacy. McLeod lives in peace for four centuries. Then his old enemy, the evil Krugan, arrives to challenge him. With modern New York as their arena, the two times sacred swordsmen square off. God. Only one can survive, and he will wield more power than any man ever dreamed existed. Starring Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery, Highlander is a thrilling saga that rocks the screen with suspense and excitement. Approximately 110 minutes. A little long in the tooth, but it's still under two hours. Yeah. Oh, uh, you hear that? That's the quickening. That's the quickening. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, I watched this movie not too long after we got this collection. I do enjoy this movie. I was excited to watch it, you know, the last time that I did. I was excited to watch it this time. And I got to see some of these trailers. They were they were amazing. It it was everything you could have ever dreamt of and then avoided from a sci-fi original or like an asylum movie. Like the the movie the trailers on our copy of Highlander were equal in quality to an asylum movie. Was an asylum movie? Uh, asylum movies are cheap knockoffs of popular movies, mostly made in hopes that people who aren't paying attention. When they're looking for the blockbuster movie, they'll just click on the cheap asylum version. But the first of which was called Apex, the an acronym, A-P-E-X. This is this is a movie I really, really would like to see. I don't think they like this is one of those trailers where it doesn't tell you what it's about. It's just a lot of hero shots and things exploding. And there's like sci-fi. Not spacesuits, but like battle suits that kind of look like old Cylons. And it also looked 
really cool because of the like late 80s, early 90s kind of like computer interface cutscenes or cutaway scenes. Like, is it better than Lawnmower Man? I I don't know that it was better than Lawnmower Man. It it would it would sit nicely in like maybe a double feature. Okay, so this was Lawnmower Man printed in 1993. So the Apex would have come out around like probably 1992, 1993. Uh, I I strong recommend, even though I haven't seen it, but it looked. It looked like something worth talking about at the very least. Yeah, yeah. If even you've if seen it, let us know. Even if it's just bad. Let us know. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are on Apex or A-P-E-X. Mm-hmm. Or what, yeah. Tell us what the acronym stands for. Yeah. What do you think A-P-E-X stands for? A pretty extreme xylophone. Xylophone? Xenomorph? Xenomorph. <laughs> A pretty, what? Extreme? Yeah. Xenomorph. The next trailer on this tape was another thing that I got really like re-excited about. It had Seth Green in it. It had um I don't remember his last name, Alfonso from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the guy who played Carlton. Oh gosh, yeah, I'm forgetting his last name too. And great dancer. Uh this movie has two titles. The title that was featured on this trailer was called Infested. But I'm pretty sure if you try looking it up and it stars Seth Green, it's called Ticks. It seemed really close to like the plot of arachnophobia, maybe with a little bit of like a disease, like like in arachnophobia, like you kind of like you get bitten and you just you die really quickly. But I think in this movie, it's insinuated that if you get bit, you'll start like growing sacks of tick eggs. It seemed like it had some pretty good, albeit cheap, like body horror stuff, like uh, like like real like pussy and bloody stuff. Mm. This is a, this is a movie that I also like would really love to see. Um, unfortunately, we don't have it, yeah. but that absolutely seems like a movie that we should have in this collection, and I want it. If you've seen it, let us know. So, if you had to just des- to describe Hoglander in one word, what would it be? Queen. Okay. Mine would be lightning. This was a, a detail that, not Siskel, but Ebert brought up the, the amount of lightning. And he talked about it like it was a bad thing. Which I, I do not agree with. I, I can understand where he's coming from, but I I just don't agree. I love that uh like eighties special effects where it's looking like lightning or something that's glowing and so you know someone just kinda like drew right over uh right over the film. Uh it's it just kind of it's very nostalgic and comforting. It's I I love it. So one thing I found interesting about this movie was that uh I actually don't remember a score. I guess there there are moments where there's more of a, a, a film score to the movie, but most of the music in this movie is just Queen. It's all Queen. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if even like some of the more film score uh, aspects of, of the soundtrack were maybe just long parts also of a Queen, Queen song or something but um it strangely works 
I don't hate it um, <laughs> because it's Queen, but it's an interesting decision. And I think it probably has a lot to do with the director. The director of this movie worked on uh, Duran Duran music videos uh, before making We worked this on a film, lot of music so, videos so, before yeah. and after. Yeah, yeah. So I think that might have something to do with it. I also didn't mind that there was so much Queen, although probably about like halfway th- or maybe a l- more than halfway through the movie, there's this one scene where I guess like a Vietnam veteran watches Clancy Brown and some other guy like sword fight in a back alley. He gets you know freaked out and gets all of his guns because he's having a, a flashback or something. But it it became so noticeable that every person in this movie was listening to Queen and only Queen. Like all of the diegetic music in this movie was was Queen. And that like by the time we get to the end of the film, it was strange. It was really strange. Like Queen is the only band that exists in Hoglander. But speaking of which, my absolute favorite thing about this movie and a lot of movies that he's in is Clancy Brown. I think I even mentioned it in our first episode, but like he is he is worth watching any movie that he's in. And he's a great villain in this movie. He's a great villain uh, in a lot also of movies. Really, really great style. I want to be him for Halloween. I wanted him to be the singer in like a punk band. Mm-hmm. Like as I was watching this movie, I was just like, this guy. This guy could have had a career in like the American hardcore scene in like the late 80s if he wanted to. Who says he didn't? I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I don't know everything about Clancy Brown except that I love him. And you found out for what has to be the sixth time, because I've told you this at least half a dozen times, that Clancy Brown is also one of the most iconic uh, voices in animation as not only not only is he the voice of Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob, but he is, I, I guess, the, the pirate voice in the opening song. Like, are you ready, kids? Those two sound pretty similar when I think about I'm them. pretty Maybe sure he's not. But he's absolutely yeah. Mr. Krabs. But um, he, it, it is still one of the more most like iconic voices in animation. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fun. I love him. Yeah. And he like he does a great job in this movie. We might have made fun of Christopher Lambert already, or at least just said his name funny. He's okay. He looks really schlubby in all the twentieth century scenes. I don't. I don't understand. When... Like he's supposed to be rich. He's he's kind of like you know like like those like in in old guard or just that vampire trope where we've been alive for so long, so we have lots of money and. But he he just he looks gross. Like he looks like he had been like he's been sweating since the 16th century. I mean, you'd be sweating, too, if you knew there was always somebody running around <laughs> trying to cut your head off. I'd, I'd be able to be warned. I mean, like the quickening, the gathering, like those yeah. are all feelings like people. I don't think people get. Wait, do people get ambushed in this movie? I don't know. You smell that, though? <laughs> That's quickening. <laughs> I mostly don't have a problem with Christopher Lam- Lambert. Lambert. I know he was raised in a lot of different places, and that's why his accent is so strange. And I, d- I don't think he does a good job with these accents. But for the most part, I don't mind him. There's just something about his, his eyes that are absolutely vacant in a weird kind of like it, it, he's uncanny christopher lambert is in the uncanny valley hmm. 
Okay. And the only time I thought he looked normal and I even made a note of it was there's a scene where he's tasting a really old like brandy. liquor. It was brandy. And he's a like he's describing the like all the notes in detail because he was around when it was made or whatever. He's older than the brandy. But the whole time, like it's a close up of his face and his eyes are closed. And I was like, this guy looks normal. Like for yeah. the first time I'm looking at him and I'm not just slightly uncomfortable. It's his eyes are uncanny. Yeah, yeah, he's uh he's got a pretty big forehead and uh his eyebrows are Oh yeah, doing his eyebrows. Different. Well, he's got like a a brow that kind of like, per, you know, is protruding, which is fine. A lot of people have them. But his eyebrows sit underneath. And so, like he has eyebrows, but when you're looking at him, you can't see the eyebrows. And that's also what makes him uncanny. I'm sure he's a fine guy. I actually don't know if he is or isn't. And then and then Sean Connery's fine. He's, he's funny. He's like dressed not I know he's not like he doesn't not dress like Zardoz, but he has Zardoz energy cuz he's just dressed in red. Like fancy red clothing. Yeah, and he's got a sick pearl earring. Yeah. It's like the size of my fist. That's the quickening. That's the quickening. <laughs> it's the quickening. Producer Johnny, would you rewind Highlander? You know, if you would have asked me last week I would have said no. Why? But I think now, after having watched it a second time, and also after having watched a little bit of the making of Highlander, which is worth a watch, truly, if you, if you haven't seen it, goes into a great deal of, of uh, detail about the process of writing the script, the ideas behind the script. So I think being able to see all of that in this movie and the ways that, okay, yeah, it's pretty, you know, of its time and dated. Um, but there's some pretty cool ideas uh, that are that are being explored in the script and, and also some really cool decisions in terms of the, uh, the director's style, um, working did, around does, a lot of constraints and things. It, yeah. It, this is a hard story to tell, especially <laughs> in like 1989. 89 is this one? When Six. This came out? 86. So I would definitely say Rewind. It's not my favorite movie, but it's a fun movie. I wouldn't think this would be your favorite movie, but this this is a movie that I do get excited about. I would absolutely rewind Highlander. I I did it once before when I first got this collection, and then I did it again. I for me, this is a really fun classic that I enjoy, and I also recommend watching the making of that's on you. Is it on YouTube? It okay. is on YouTube. Um, I think it provides just like not necessary, but uh, some really nice context for like both. Uh, like what the director's style is and what like his goals are, but also just like nice context for what the story is at its core and like what the writer was trying to make. And um, and a little bit of what it was like making movies in the 80s. It was really easy for a 20, 21 year old uh, like film school writer to get a movie made at a studio. It was just it, it it was such a time, and I think that we were really fortunate to get something like Highlander. So the wildest thing about this movie, too, is that it just, like, after watching The Princess Bride and seeing such a great sword fight in that movie, this did leave me wanting a little bit more um, uh, from, from the sword fights here. I realized that they're fighting with much heavier swords, or at least uh, Clancy Brown's character is yeah the sword fights just but, were they were okay but, but they were okay not as beautifully choreographed as even the <laughs> choreographed uh, just you can stop the princess there. <laughs> bride 
not so, as choreographed. Yeah. Um, what these sword fights do have going for it, though, is there are some like incredible uh, at at the top of a of a highland. It's being filmed like via helicopter that's just like circling like the Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery while they're at this what feels like a mountain peak. And so things like that are really impressive. However, there was maybe no budget for decent Foley work in this movie. Because uh, when they're on, when they're sword fighting, you can hear the swords clinging and clanking, and you can also hear the helicopter because they're just they're just capturing the audio of the actual sword fight. And I'm and it's supposed to be the 16th century, and we're hearing this helicopter. That, yeah, it is pretty funny. You can you can definitely hear the helicopter in the audio track. Just like of all the things, there's just like like what I do like about this movie is like there are some really great practical effects like like sparks for days like there's so many light bulbs and fluorescent lights that are exploding and the, the like one of the earliest scenes is an entire garage full of cars like all of these cars just get totaled simultaneously and there's glass flying uh, again sparks flying and it is a like they're really impressive stunts and then you keep the helicopter noise like the in your movie during yeah. your I don't know what that's all about. It's it's kind of yeah, that's kind of interesting. So that that was a part that just like really disappointed me, and I, I I'm almost embarrassed by how by how bummed that 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 made me. That's Highlander. The next movie that producer Johnny so thoughtfully pulled off the shelf, randomly picked, <laughs> is 1989's Valmont, a Milos Forman film. The this one I was only a little bit excited about watching it. I'm, I'm not immediately enticed by period movies, but I was excited about this cast. We have Annette Benning, We have Colin Firth, Feruza Balk, like a young Feruza Balk. Like, like, well, she's she's supposed to be 15 in this movie, and I yeah. believe it. Yeah. Um, she definitely gives this movie a feel. Yeah. Like, I, I think she was probably one of the best actors in this movie like the as far as like the part that she played i think she, like she played it best i loved her performance in this but this is passion sensuality pleasure sin just another night in the country valmont unfortunately oh. this was like <laughs> on clearance from a Somewhere. video store or something so i tried to remove this uh sticker on the back of the tape here but it's covering the log line so we kind of have to Infer a little bit of that. Valmont, a handsome rake, Colin Firth, former lover, the beautiful and Annette Benning. <laughs> Yet he also wants beautiful but married, Madame. Someone. However, the Marquis is incensed that her present lover is about to marry 15-year-old Cecile, Feruza Balk. So the Marquis asks Valmont to seduce Cecile. So she is not pure on her wedding day. A bet is made to see if Belmont can sexually conquer Cecile while pursuing other women. Of course he can. It's getting there that's all the fun. Sexual assassinations are plotted like military operations as everyone seems to be trying to bed everyone else. Two-time Academy Award-winning director Milos Forman guides this sly film full of intrigue, sexual innuendo, and body romps definitely it does not skimp on the body romps well it's mostly butts this oh. movie has a lot of butts this one is a little over 
two hours? A little over two hours. and um, A lot of over two hours. Apparently, it, it sort of came out a year after Dangerous Liaisons. Liaisons, which is essentially the same story. And, that, not, and not just like, oh, like it's practically the same story. They are based off of the same French play. A year prior to this release, there had been another movie kind of exploring this same story. Uh, and it's a pretty popular one that gets uh, treated fairly often. So just to say a little bit about this movie, because I think the other two that we talked about, there's a fair amount of, a lot of people know about Highlander, a lot of people know about Princess Bride. Really at the heart of this movie, you have two young people who are very in love. And I mean, for what that means for a 15-year-old, which doesn't and mean a, a whole lot. And a 17-year-old. Yeah, yeah. It's a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old. So, I mean, they Bless say they're hearts. in love, but you know, what do they know? But then you have these cynical adults around them who are really just kind of putting them in the middle of these. Um, They're uh, playing chess with humans. Debauched, to... <laughs> degenerate, aristocratic sort of uh, sexual escapades. It's 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 all pretty terrible. It's like 17th um, century Seinfeld. Uh, yeah. Actually, this movie kind of makes some of the people in Seinfeld look like uh, Good Samaritans. You know, we're living in a society. Also weird because, uh, what, Jeffrey Jones? Oh, Jeffrey, uh, Jones. Jeffrey Jones is in this movie uh, playing somebody Burper. who, uh, what'd you say? Noted. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. Can't okay, say, yeah. We, you we can't, can't say, say those word. words here. You can't say those words here. But, um, well, what's Jeffrey worse Jones, is that his character it, it, is supposed to be marrying a 15-year-old. Marrying a 15-year-old, uh, which, which is just so, uh, when, when you think about what we know about Jeffrey Jones today. Um, but, and we'll say this, it's got a sword duel. Mm -hmm. It's got a sword duel, so that's three for three. It has two, two sword fights. Yeah, one between Henry Thomas and Jeffrey Jones. One fencing match and then an actual sword fight. Yeah. yeah. So that's three for three, which is why we're calling this episode Blades, Blades of, of Fury. Why do I keep saying Blades of Glory? I don't know. Because that's another, that's a whole nother movie. Does it star Blades Ben Savage? Of Fury. No, it stars John. Uh, Logazama? No, oh. the, the one from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Header. John Header. Real? Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Now I, I, I can think of the movie. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't going to movies at that time. There's no trailers. This movie is so long. It is what happens. There, there's not enough room on like the physical tape. And this is one of the downsides of VHS. Like when you have these long movies and they're not broken up over like two tapes, which is mm. a nuisance in and of itself. Novelty or not. Uh, and this one just goes straight into the movie. There are no trailers, huh. unfortunately. I'll start with my one-word description. I've said it already. It's butts. What is your one-word description? Unwholesome. <laughs> yeah, this movie was... Okay, so if I got to pick like a an understudy for my one-word description, it would be upsetting. Yeah. There's a lot about this movie that is... Very upsetting, like whether or not it's just the cultural difference of like having centuries between me and what was supposedly happening in the country <laughs> during this time. It is still very upsetting. Yeah, I think uh, the thought that I had while watching this movie is that this is what happens when people have way too much money. And no TV or video games or <laughs> anything else like I, these, you heard it here. These, these producer Johnny thinks that reality TV 
was not a mistake. You know, this makes me think there's virtue in uh, reality TV as opposed to people manipulating other people's very real lives. Uh, if anything like this actually happened in history, um, yeah, golly, it's it's. I'm pretty sure things it, like this still happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it. You know, it definitely would explain a lot about. Um, I think generational trauma and uh, abuse. It, it you know, um, not to get too heavy on the subject, but yeah, it is. It is really uh, disturbing when you kind of think of the implications of what a story like this is. Yeah. So, like, like you already mentioned the the a word, and it it, it like this movie is mostly that. And maybe what I find so upsetting about it is that a lot of these characters will sit with the weight of the things that are happening to them and but only for a little bit and then it just kind of like they move on they sort of laugh about it and then they're just like very easily convinced that everything that happened was good and you're just a much better less naive person because of what happened and that's what I find so sad. Like the ending, like the ending is supposed to be sad. I think it is. I think it is sad in uh, in a few ways. I think I haven't seen Dangerous Liaisons, Liaisons but if Roger Ebert's uh, review is anything to go off of, um, I think what I liked about this movie is that you do really get to understand these characters. Um, I think you get a clear sense of uh, their motivations or who they are. And I think there are moments in the end of this story that uh, really do depict uh, certain characters uh, sitting with the, the degeneracy of their own lives and fully comprehending that. Mm -hmm. Oh, my la the last thing that I wrote here was like, this movie is an anti-action movie. <laughs> <laughs> which, yeah. which to say like, yes, there's um, a lot... This movie is very, very sexual, but it, but the one thing that I did like about it as an anti-action movie is uh, the final, one of the final climaxes is a sword fight, a duel between Valmont and Henry Thomas. Yeah. You see them clank swords just a couple of times, and then you just hear the swords clanking, while Valmont's a uh, servant, yeah. servant man, is he is so upset that he like he can't look, and so the the shot just holds on his face, covering his eyes, while you hear the clanking for like three four seconds, and the clanking stops because like it, it's implied that the fight is over, and you just like slowly see his hands drop to cover his mouth in shock, and yeah. like, like something about not seeing the action and only seeing how it's affecting the people around like the, like particularly the servants like there are a few very effective scenes and they're quick where like big things are happening or have happened to our principal cast and then you see just how the help kind of fits into the lives around it and i just like jesus christ like the poor help in this movie and the purpose of their like their purpose on that earth was to sit around all night and wait and just in case people got up out of bed yeah. just like small small details like that and this film had a lot of just like really short vignettes of other people because like you mentioned these people exist in this world where they have so much money that they they live in in 
literally different worlds. Mm. And the things that they're doing to themselves and to the people that are close to them affect the people around them. And so I just I like that we got to see what it's doing to those people around them. Right. And it did. Yeah. It made it all that more sad. <laughs> right. Yeah. It made it really sad. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to say about Valmont is the the casting. I know I talked about and sung some praises for Feruza. And mo- most of the other characters or the the actors, the, the casting for this movie was like pretty, pretty good. I the the only person that I really had an issue with was Meg Tilly, who I, I like her in other movies, but I think she played sad and wistful pretty well. I think she played sad well too, but she has a face that knows what a cell phone is. And between that and just some of the dialogue, like I thought the the script was was fine. But some of the dialogue sucked me out of the movie. There there was one interaction where the help was talking to Colin Firth, I think, trying to convince him to, like, do or not do something. And he's like, sir, seriously. And fucking seriously? No. That was you, seriously. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, this period movie suffers from what a lot of American period movies suffer. And it's it's an unfortunate reality is, you know, for American audiences, uh, at least in a time and place, maybe less true today. But um, in, in the 80s, you know, probably the only way you're going to get people interested in a, in a story that isn't an American story is yeah. to, you know, tell it through the American English dialect. and. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm for sure being harsh. Like I, I've watched other Milos Forman films and not really thought about it so critically. Like I, I do really enjoy Amadeus. However, we also grew up in a time where we had blockbuster period pieces like The Man in the Iron Mask and The Three Musketeers, which really just like ruined that whole like genre. I think. You're surrounded by people who were cast for either the way they look or how they act. Everyone's going to be speaking English, probably mostly, and accents. It's just like, do whatever comes naturally to you. And I, when I first saw the trailer for the Napoleon movie, I just, I was, it was absurd. But it, it is, it, it really isn't. It's just something we haven't seen a whole lot in in cinema, especially in like prestige cinema. We've been seeing a lot of like, if our movie's set in, 16th century France, they're fucking speaking French. Yeah, yeah, especially true of something like Benedetta. You know, or I think back to a movie like that. And that was a great just, movie. You know, well done in that respect. It's fine. And I think that's just all <laughs> a long-winded way of the saying The cinematography it's fine. is great. The cinematography looks great. The mm-hmm. sets look great. The costumes are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, e- everything about this as a work um, is... Uh, not only competent, but even delightful uh, in those in those aspects. But um, mm-hmm. you know, the story ain't for everyone, for sure. Um, I I I enjoyed it. Um, I think you know any any stories like this that uh, help give us a fuller view of of history. Um, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I I always tend to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, so if you do end up checking out Valmont, just know that there are some like pretty intense trigger warnings. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I wouldn't rewind. That, that's fair. I would definitely recommend watching it. Um, but would you rewind it? Well, so my actions speak louder than words <laughs> in this one because as soon as the movie ended, I got up from the couch, hit stop, and eject immediately um, <laughs> without a second thought. So clearly I voted then. Um, you voted with your actions. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, I would say, yeah, probably, you know, not something I'd come back to. Probably not rewind. Um, that was Valmont. We are now at the point where we are choosing the next three movies that I have to watch. And producer Johnny went ahead and pulled all of those ahead of time and has done a pretty decent job keeping the selections from me because I wanted to be oh, surprised. Gosh. You don't know the half of it. Okay. Um, the first movie is... Juan Carlos. Okay. <gasps> It's Mission Impossible by Brian De Palma. I love this movie. It's a fun one. Oh. It's a fun one. Billy Doo. Billy Doo. Billy Doo. Oh, so Boyd. young. John Boyd in this movie. Mm hmm. Yeah. And uh, Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Like momentarily. <laughs> okay. And this next movie? Uh, this next movie is our uh, guest. Uh, host. So okay. next week we'll have a guest host, my good friend Tyler, uh, and uh, this is his pick. <gasps> I said it. I said it was one of my favorite actors. This, uh, I'm pretty sure. I, like everyone thought, Brendan Fraser was very attractive at this moment in time, but Rachel Weisz was one of my very first celebrity crushes. God damn. I love this movie. I've been seeing like how long have I been saying that this is a great movie? Uh it's it's been a long time. It's been it a long is time. such an amazing action adventure blockbuster. And it doesn't need to be anything more than that. So much so that they're making bumper stickers about it nowadays. Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited. I love this movie so much. Okay. Um this is This is the random, the random one. So we have here Country Life, a Michael Blakemore film starring another one of my celebrity crushes, Sam Neill. Honestly, this box looks like it was designed by whoever does the Girl Scout cookies boxes. <laughs> Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up, but I'm going to talk about that in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us for Mystery Simon Theater 3000. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we have an Instagram where Johnny is posting uh, photos and videos of us here in the studio, uh, rummaging through our tapes, watching some trailers, like ripped, like not ripped, but uh, footage of our CRTs. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, Mystery Simon Theater 3000. I will be sharing behind-the-scenes photos of the alphabetization of the collection. Um, and th that's where I'll also share some other behind-the-scenes photos of us recording the podcast, including uh, just other tapes that I find interesting or the tapes that I take home because this is also my personal movie library. 
So uh, all of the links uh, Simon just talked about will be in the comments, so you can, or sorry, in the show notes, so you can find them there. Um, and uh, yeah, go check us out on Instagram. Uh, send me a message and uh, tell me a little bit about these movies that we just talked about. If you want to share your thoughts on Highlander and why I'm wrong about it not being the uh, best movie of all time, um, I'd love to hear. I'm always willing to be convinced. It doesn't have to be the best movie, but it is. But there can only be one best movie. <laughs> and that's the quickening. Thank you and good night. I'll see you on the other side. That's the quickening. That's the quickening. The sensation you're feeling is the quickening. <laughs>